Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Amos chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Hear this word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. So as we've been going through the book of Amos now, chapter 5 is another prophecy. There's been a series of prophecies. This is a new one. It's hear this word. So it's a new prophecy. And it's against the house of Israel, which is the northern tribes, the ten tribes of Israel. And he says it's a lamentation. Now, if you don't know what a lamentation is, it's basically a dirge. You go, well, I don't even know what a dirge is. Well, it's a song or a poem uh, composed basically to recognize or to mourn over the death of a person, uh, a death of a people, or a death of a nation. And so this is a, this is a, a prophecy that's just a mourning over the condition of the nation of Israel. Verse 2, it says, The virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. I got a slideshow and I just uh, asked uh, if you could go ahead and pop it up. I want to show you something. I'll be in somebody's way, so I'll try to move around. So you might say, okay, what is the story with this? If you look on, the, these are mug shots, by the way. On the left-hand side is a girl, and uh, it doesn't show her age, but uh, I think most of these pictures I'm going to show you, they're, they're over a span of like 10 years maybe. So this girl was uh, picked up for whatever reason, uh, and they got her mug shot there at 10 years. This is what her, she looks like now that she's been addicted to uh, crystal meth. And uh, so you just look at, look at the difference between her. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Here's a guy, 97 to 2008. And if you look, you just look at the features of their faces. Uh, you can go ahead and go to the next one. It's interesting. I was looking at each one of these pictures going, there's, there's some common things that you can see. And I know some of you health professionals probably know what I'm talking about. This is only two years difference here. And this one, stop for a minute here. This, okay, the picture on the left, she was 22 years old. Picture on the left, she's 33 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, she looks like she's 63, you know, or 73 or something. And I don't know if there's any more, is there? Oh, and then there's this last one. This is just one year difference from being, you know, hooked on crystal meth. These are the faces of meth. And uh, if you're listening to this message, because we have people that listen online, basically I'm just showing mugshots of people. You can go, you can Google it. Just Google the faces of meth and you'll get a lot of these and more pictures of people. And you might say, okay, Pastor Don, why did you show, you can go ahead and, yeah, there's things. <laughs> Otherwise you're staring at that face the whole day. Um, why are you showing these pictures? Well, these faces show the slow motion suicide that's taking place in these people's lives, you know, and they don't, they don't, you know, if you were to, if you were to show them, you know, back of their first picture and go, or go, you know, have, they probably don't even, I'm trying to spit it out. They don't even know, probably don't even recognize the change within them. But if you look at those pictures, the before and after, wow, they look like they're practically dead. I mean, they look like they're approaching the grave. It's really a slow motion death here. And the reason why I bring this up is because this verse here that we just read about the virgin of Israel, she's fallen. She's, she's down on the ground. There's nobody to raise her up, nobody to pick her up. You know, spiritually, 
God looks at these people, the nation of Israel, and he sees the after effects of sin in their lives and how they are basically slow motion death. They're going through a slow motion suicide. The nation of Israel in this verse here is personified in this prophecy as a virgin. And if you think of a virgin, you know, she's young. She's in, she's in the prime of her life. She's beautiful. Uh, she's never known a man. She's just, there's just so much potential. There's so much beauty there. And that's the way God viewed his children, the children of Israel. And the interesting thing is, you know, they, they didn't deserve it. It's not like they had earned that, that, you know, that feelings from God. You know, during their time in the wilderness, when God was making them into a nation, they were rebellious. They were grumbling. They were complaining. And yet God looked at them and he saw this virgin, this beautiful bride. And, uh, and so, but sin takes its toll. Sin takes its toll on us as well. And uh, Israel was supposed to represent God's beauty to the world around her. But because sin, because of idolatry, she's ugly. She's, she looks like she's dying. And, you know, that's what sin does to each one of us. You know, if you're practicing sin and you're going, you're, you're, you're compromising your life, you may think, well, I'm doing pretty good. But God looks at you and he sees the before and he sees the after. And it, it's, it's death is what he sees. She's fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken, no one to raise her up. It says, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. If you do the math, basically it means 90% of their population would be decimated as a consequence of their sin. But here's the interesting thing. Okay, this is a prophecy that Amos is, is giving to the northern ten tribes of Israel. But during this time, Jeroboam, not, not the first Jeroboam, he's the guy that really sent them wayward. He, he's the one that set up the false idols in Dan and Bethel for the, uh, the northern nations to start worshiping instead of going to the Lord God and the temple in Jerusalem. This is Jeroboam the second. I don't think he's related, but same name, but he's their current king as this prophecy is being spoken. And during that time, Jeroboam II had brought great prosperity to the nation. It was like the best times that they've had that anyone can remember there in Israel. Israel's army was very strong at that time. They were prosperous. They were militarily strong. There were no major threats from the Syrians who were their enemies or the Assyrians at that time. And so the people hearing this prophecy, they must have thought, you know, Amos, you must be nuts. I mean, you know, you're such a doomsayer. You're such a, a negative person. You're an eternal pessimist. But you see, unless you show those people in the mugshots how they probably looked before and how they look now, they probably don't realize what they're looking like. And so the, the, the nation of Israel, they, they, they're like, why are you saying this? Everything's going good. But see, sin deceives us. In reality, God saw Israel as they truly appeared. They were dying in slow motion. Verse 4. And so now you hear the heart of God. We, we were just singing about that in a song that Dave wrote. For thus says the Lord God to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. God's heart for them, even though they're steeped in sin and idolatry, man, just seek me 
and live. That's God's heart. It's God's heart for the world today. Sometimes we look at people around us and, you know, it's easy to say, well, those wicked sinners and, man, those terrible radical Islamists. And, you know, and, and we, we look at these people with disdain and yet God's heart for them is that they might repent and come to faith in Him. That's His heart. It's His heart here for Israel. Seek me and live. But He says in verse 5, but do not seek Bethel nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Bethel, it's where God in the past had appeared to Abraham and Jacob. Uh, you know, it, it was a place of great spiritual importance to Israel. But later on here, Jeroboam, the first Jeroboam, he set up one of the calves for worship there, one of the false idols Beersheba, that was in the place in the past where God had appeared to Hagar. Remember, she left Abraham uh, and, and uh, she had bore Ishmael to him and, and she thought that he was going to die. And, and God miraculously provided for uh, Hagar and for Ishmael and God blessed Ishmael there. That's also Beersheba is the place where Abraham stayed. And in Bible says he called on the name of the Lord there. And it's where God spoke to Jacob about how he would make Jacob into a great nation. Um, but now it had become a place of idolatry. And you can read that in, in Amos 8 verse 4. It talks about the idolatry in, in Beersheba. Gilgal. Gilgal was the city, that the town they were just on the, just as they were going to cross the Jordan River, the children of Israel, after their years of wandering in the wilderness, they're getting ready to go into the promised land, into Canaan. And... Uh, here, the Bible says, Gilgal shall surely go into captivity. And it's interesting, and you don't pick it up in the English here, but it's actually a paranomasia. Anybody know what a paranomasia is? I don't either. <laughs> I had to look it up. <laughs> it actually it means a pun. And so there's a play on words here. And again, it's in the Hebrew, so we wouldn't pick it up itself. But the name Gilgal means a circle or rolling. And when the children of Israel were in Gilgal, God said to them, I want you to take all the males, 12 years old and upwards, and I want you to circumcise them before they enter into the promised land. That whole generation, as they're wandering through the wilderness, had not been circumcised. All the circumcised males had died in, in Israel, except for Joshua and Caleb. And so they were circumcised there as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land there. And uh, God says, this is where, where I am rolling away your reproach. And so the name Gilgal means rolling away or rolling. And the pun here is Gilgal Galo Yigla. Okay, nobody gets that. <laughs> it basically says where God had rolled away the reproach of Israel would now itself be rolled away. So again, there's a Hebrew pun there that we kind of miss. But here again, he says, seek me and live. Don't seek those places of idolatry, those places, Gilgal, Bethel, Beersheba, because they're not going to deliver you. Don't go after those false idols, those things. They're, they won't deliver you, and they themselves are going to be judged. Verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Do you get a theme here of God here? Seek me. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel. You who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. You know, even... Though Amos here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is prophesying judgment because of the sin of the people, 
again, the Lord's telling them, hey, there's a new way, there's a way to avert judgment, and that's by seeking me. Not by becoming more religious, not by seeking anything in place of him, but just to seek me. Basically, when's this, the, the thing that uh, Dave announced for Sunday evenings, that's basically what it is. We're just coming into the Lord's presence and just seeking him. And, uh, and so this is what God's heart was for the children of Israel. You know, Moses spoke to the children of Israel. He had misrepresented God there in the wilderness. And so God said, you're not entering into the promised land. And so shortly before Moses' death, he gathers the children of Israel. They're, they're looking at the promised land, and, and Moses is giving them, his, he's just pouring out his heart to them because he knows he's not going to bring them in. And he says to them in Deuteronomy 4, verse 23, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forget, forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. God doesn't just want part of us. He doesn't just want, you know, uh, this, this one aspect of us. He wants all of us. He wants your entire life, your entire being. Every aspect of you, He wants. He's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. He says, You who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. So they had turned justice to wormwood. What's that mean? Well, wormwood is, the word means bitterness. And the nation's justice system was so corrupt, rather than being truly just and fair, it was bitter because people were mistreated by it. There was a travesty of justice. I look at what's going on in our nation. You know, it's amazing. And I'm not picking on any particular party or individual, but you read about all these these things like, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's been accused of doing all these things with these emails and stuff. And it's like this espionage stuff. And they've got all this stuff. And I'm sitting there and go, but nothing's happening. And, and that's what, you know, people are, if they have the power, if they have the money, nothing happens to them. There's injustice in this, in our society as well. Well, Israel... They were corrupt. They had, their justice system was totally corrupt. And they had lied, laid righteousness to rest. You know when you lay somebody to rest? It means they've died. You're, you're burying them. You're laying them to rest. That's, that's what it means. And so basically, righteousness in the land was dead at this time. And you think at this time, God's ready to just wipe them out. And he's prophesying destruction. But his heart is, I want you to turn to me. Seek me and live. God also wanted Israel again to represent him to the heathen world around him. In Psalms 89, 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. As God's people, Israel was supposed supposed to reflect God's character, righteousness, justice. But they hadn't. They were ugly. They were looked like they were dying because of the sin that was in their lives. You and I as Christians, we're to reflect Jesus Christ. We're to reflect His character. The more, we, the more we seek the Lord, we're to reflect Him in this world. Twice now God has told a disobedient and a rebellious people to seek Him. Why? So they'll live and not die. But there's another reason. And the other reason is He alone is the answer to man's innermost longing. Because you see the idolatry, the things that people were following... They were following to fulfill something. And they were, they were following whatever idols it was to fulfill something that they wanted in their hearts rather than seeking it from God Himself. 
And God himself is, is the answer to man's longings. I was talking to someone just the other day, and, and he's going through some marital difficulties, and he was sharing with me about how his wife is just, she keeps following after, you know, everybody that's in her, uh, you know, her social economic places has got these boats and houses, and they got, and so she wants to have these boats and houses and stuff, and, and, and she's just basically overextended herself trying to pursue these things, and she's miserable. And the reason why is because none of those things are going to satisfy you. Only satisfaction comes from Jesus Christ, from a relationship with him. And, you know, even as Christians, I was talking to a pastor just the other day, yesterday actually, and, and we were just talking together and, and sharing, and, and we both were recognizing how in this culture, even as Christians, even as pastors, it's so easy to start looking at things around us in our culture because we're a very wealthy culture. And go, man, I need what they have. I want what they have. I want, the, you know, and, and we can get into that where we start longing for things. And we think, if I can just get that, I'll be happy. Even Christians, we, we follow that. We fall into that. It could be anything. And, and yet, once we get it, it's like, man, that wasn't the answer. I still want more. People seek wealth for financial security, but money can't keep a person from dying when their time comes. It doesn't matter how much money you have. When it's your time to go, it's your time to go. You could be the wealthiest man. You can't pay off God. You can't pay off the doctors, whatever. You might be able to prolong it through good medicine or something, but eventually you're, it's not going to help you. Money is uncertain. You know, there are nations. We had last Wednesday night, we had uh, Amir Safardi, uh, a DVD from a prophecy conference sharing he was talking about how Russia and so many other countries are trying to get off of the U.S. dollar as the standard for trade in the world, the global standard, you know, the petrodollar. Once that happens, everything that you and I have that we think is so secure in our finances and everything, it's gone. It's gone because our money is it's just, it's printed. It's just fake. There's no, there's no basis behind it. And once that system collapses, all of that collapses, and yet we put so much stock and so much stuff into our retirement, so much of this, and, you know, and, and I think we're supposed to be good stewards, but when we put our hope in those things, nothing's certain in this world except for death and taxes, right? You can count on, you can count on taxes, that's for sure. But once the money system moves off that standard, man, our wealth is going to evaporate. People seek materialism. They seek power, they seek success, they seek pleasure, but in the end, all of that leaves people unfulfilled and unsatisfied. Verse 8, he made the Pleiades, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and Orion. He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the, dark, uh, the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Pleiades, it's a constellation of seven stars. It's also known as the seven sisters. It's part of the Taurus constellation. And Orion also is a constellation of stars. They were ones that you could actually see without a microscope or telescope, excuse me. And, uh, and in that culture, and in fact, in, all the way from Babylon on, people were worshiping stars uh, in the form of astrolo astrology and other things. God created those stars including Pleiades and Orion. In Job chapter 38, you know the story about Job, right? God had uh, allowed him to go through a very difficult time of suffering, and uh, his friends, 
you know, they're sitting around and they're saying, well, we got to figure out why you're suffering. You know, it's because of this in your life, because of that. And, and basically at the end, it's just God is sovereign and God allowed this to happen in Job's life. But at the end of the book or towards the end of the book, you know, Job's been complaining about his situation. His friends have been complaining about his situation. And then finally, towards the end of the book, God starts speaking to Job. And he starts asking Job a bunch of questions. One of the questions he asks him, he says, Can you bind the clusters, uh, the cluster of the Pleiades, those stars, or loose the belt of Orion? Of course, the answer is no. It says, Can you bring out Maseroth in its seasons? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? These are you know, constellations he's talking about. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominions over the earth? God's asking, hey, can you do those things? And of course, the answer, Job, is absolutely not. Powerless to do those things. But you see, God created the heavens and the earth. He controls the solar system. There's no one more powerful than the Lord our God. So if that's the case, and if that's true, why would we seek security from anything or anyone else? And God has everything under his control. Why would we go and try to, try to find security in anything but him? He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. Think about that, the shadow of death into morning. You know, God can take something that for all intents and purposes is dead. He can take a dead marriage, a dead relationship, a dead end, you name it. He can take that and he can turn it into a bright new morning. Man, that's hope. That's hope. Why would we put our hope in anything or anyone else when God can turn a situation around like that? He can also make the day as dark as the night. You know, sometimes we think we're in control of our destiny. You know, things are going good. I got everything under control. And all of a sudden something happens and it just it just knocks the wind out of you. It's like, I didn't see that coming. You guys have all had those moments, haven't you? I've had that. You know, you get this phone call and all of a sudden it's like your world's crashing around you. It's like, I can't, you know, can't believe this is happening. It's just, I didn't see it coming. And, it, and it's, it's like all of a sudden you realize, man, I'm in control of nothing. I may think that I've got things in control, but man, God is sovereign. God is in control. And if God is sovereign and if God's in control and if our lives can change in an instant, why would we not fear and revere him? Why would we not do that? It says he calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. This is talking about that whole hydrological cycle. You know, God created the hydrological cycle. I'm trying I'm using fancy words here, but basically it's it's the the whole water cycle of, you know, evaporation the waters, the, the sun evaporates, the heat evaporates water from the ocean, forms a vapor, becomes a cloud. It blows across the land and eventually it cools and it condenses and it rains down on the earth. God created that and God regulates it. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, a, a you know, a, a very, very smart person. I'm not that smart anyways. But um, as far as I know, that's a constant thing that doesn't change. Water always evaporates. It always, you know, at the certain situation, it always condenses at a certain, certain situation. It never not happens, you know. Uh, God regulates that. 
God also allows it to rain in a desert where there's no one there to even to even appreciate it. You know, it's like there's rain falling and God's flowers are coming up, but there's nobody there to enjoy it. God, God does it worldwide. It speaks of God's faithfulness. And if God is faithful to every year allow the waters to evaporate and condense, and every year we get those seasons, and you know God waters places where people aren't even benefited from it, if God is so faithful to do that, why would we put our trust in anything or anyone else? So this is what God's trying to communicate to His people. And finally, He says, the Lord is His name. Yahweh is His name. This is the name by which God revealed Himself to Moses. You know what it says about Moses in Exodus 33.11? It says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And what God is trying to communicate to His people, Israel, is I want you to seek Me and live. I want relationship with you. Yahweh's My name. As if they forgot. They forgot who God was. And this morning, maybe God's speaking to you this morning and saying, hey, Yahweh's my name. Seek me and live. I want a relationship with you. Not only is God more powerful, not only is God worthy of our hope and trust, not only is God sovereign, not only is God faithful, and not only is God personal and desires relationship, but there's one more thing He's communicating to them. He's also righteous and holy. Verse 9, He rains ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. God's a holy God. Verse 10, They hate the one who rebukes in the gate and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. Again, the nation of Israel, they were experiencing wealth and prosperity. They had gone through decline, but now things are going good. It's happy days are here again. Everything is going well. But the thing is, that gain that they had, you know, the wealth and everything, it was gone through unjustly. They had, they had robbed from the poor. They had, it was a travesty of justice. They had got gain all right, but it was through unjust and unrighteous means. And the thing is, they didn't tolerate anyone who spoke against them. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to hear it. Therefore, though they were pursuing wealth, security, luxury, and pleasure, God says, you, you may have gotten what you're looking for, your house and all that stuff, but you're not going to enjoy it. You may have got your vineyards, but you're not even going to be able to enjoy the fruit of your labor because of your sin. Verse 12. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. And listen to this verse just floors me. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Think about that. A time of great prosperity and security externally, and yet it was a time of great spiritual idolatry. They were worshiping other idols. They were, uh, there was great injustice in the land. It's a time when good is called evil and good and evil is called good. It's a time when speaking up and speaking the truth means you're going to be persecuted. You're going to, you're, there's going to be opposition. It's to the point where people are silent because if they speak up, 
It's going to cause a problem. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? That's exactly where we're at in our culture. Where if we see unrighteousness, if we see injustice, if we see you know, sin and, and we confront it and we speak up and we speak the truth, even if we speak it in love, we're opposed. And I'll tell you, it's going to get worse and worse as we draw closer and closer to the day of the Lord. It's getting worse and it's going to continue to get worse. And the Bible says here, speaking of that time, says it's an evil time. Now, what do you think the time is that we're living in? It's an evil time as well. Again, verse 14, God's heart here. Seek good and not evil that you may live so that the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. And seek God, or excuse me, seek good and not evil that you may live. God wants you to live. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to rain on your parade. He's not trying to keep you from enjoying life. God wants you to enjoy life to the fullest. It was meant to live, be lived, but it's according to how he created it to be lived. God wants you to be in fellowship with him. It's interesting here. He says, seek good and not evil that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts be with, will be with you as you have spoken. See, they thought things were going good. You know, even though they were worshiping other idols, they were still going through the, the, the motions of Judaism. Although they weren't going down to the temple, they were doing it there with their places of idol worship. They were still being religious. They, they thought that they were doing pretty, they thought things were going great. And yet it was a time of great hypocrisy and God was calling them out of that. I want to read this psalm to you. Psalm 34, verse 12, it says, Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Man, if you want to have a life, an abundant life, man, seek good, depart from evil. Seek peace. You know, those are active words. Those are verbs, action verbs, things that you and I are to do. Verse 15, hate evil, love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Israel, or excuse me, remnant of Joseph. Another, you know, the descendants of Joseph, which would have been called Ephraim, which is another name for the northern ten tribes of Israel. Here again, there's a prophecy that there's going to be a remnant of the people that are that will survive. Hate evil and love good, establish justice. There's a lot of verses in the New Testament that speak about you and I hating evil and loving good. I want to read just a couple of them to you. Paul wrote this in Romans 12, verse 9. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. But you know the problem is? Sometimes I don't abhor evil that much. Sometimes it's like, you know, it's not that bad, you know, and, and, and we see, see things as like, ah, oh, you know, and yet we're to abhor evil. We're to call it what it is. But we get so accustomed to it in our culture. First Thessalonians 5.21, Paul wrote this, Test all things, 
Hold fast what is good. Man, cling to those things that are good. Abstain from every form of evil. Third John or three John, third John one verse eleven. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Now we're to imitate the good. When you see the good, the righteous man, imitate it. Um, but when you see evil, man, abhor it. Stay away from it. And then finally, Psalm one nineteen, verse one of four, which is Old Testament, but it says through your precepts. I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So the only way you're going to know God's heart and know what He approves and know what, he, know what sin is by reading your Word, getting into the Word and understanding what God's heart is for you. And as you get into the Word, you're going to recognize, man, that, that's not biblical. God doesn't want that. That's, that's against what God's heart is. I don't want it either. I want to stay away from that, whatever it might be establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Again, there would be a remnant of the northern kingdom of Israel. Verse 16, Therefore the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. You know, what's the picture here is being spoken of is farmers rejoicing at harvest time. You know, you've, you've done all your work, you've, you've planted, you've toiled, you've labored. Maybe you've done a lot of praying because there hasn't been a lot of rain or, you know, the conditions weren't that good. And finally, God's blessed you and you've got this bumper crop. And it's just, it's a time to rejoice in what God's done. That's what a harvest is meant to be. And yet God says that there's going to be wailing. The farmers are going to be mourning. Even though... You know, there's the harvest is a time for rejoicing because of their sin. It's going to be a time of wailing and grief. And it says here, but um, they shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards they shall be there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. What does that mean? Passing through you. You know, when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. That night that they left, God instituted the Passover. And it was a picture of Jesus Christ, of course. But they were to take the blood of a lamb and they were to wipe it on the doorposts of their house. And those that were inside the house that were covered by the blood of that lamb, the angel of death would, instead of passing through their house and destroying the firstborn of every family in Egypt, he would pass over their house. It's a picture of being forgiven of sins. God not looking at the sins that we've committed and He's passed over them. But God says, if you're going to forsake that sacrifice, if you're going to forsake me, I'm not going to pass over you. I'm going to pass through you. And when a righteous God passes through, sin can't stand. Sin will be destroyed. So rather than passing over their sins committed and being forgiven, God would pass through them. A holy God cannot tolerate sin that is not dealt with through His Son. You see, it's going to get worse here, verse 18, because not only would the Syrians, because later on the Assyrians are going to invade and, and they're going to wipe out and decimate uh, the northern ten tribes, but after them the Assyrians, which were even worse 
which were beyond Damascus. They were brutal people. I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they would cut your tongue out. They would, they would skin people alive. They'd gouge out their eyes. They'd cut off hands and feet. They would put hooks through noses and chain you up like a big stringer of fish, and they'd make you march to Assyria. I mean, they were, they were the ISIS of their day. God says, and it's breaking God's heart. That's why he's lamenting. But he says, you know what? You're, you're not turning to me. You're going to bear the consequences of your sin. But not only that, those things, as bad as they would be, it's just a picture of the ultimate day of the Lord when all sin is going to be judged. Look at verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Think of that. You know, you're running from, uh, what was it, a bear? You're running from a, uh, you're running from a lion and a bear gets you. You know, you run into your house, you think you're safe, you lean against the wall and there's a snake in there and the snake bites you. Bites you. It reminds me of my, my granddaughter. Not that she's a snake or she hasn't bit anyone, but her, her name is J.L., and, and uh, she's named after the JL in the Bible, actually. And, and I, I just, uh, I always think, you know, when she gets older, I don't know if she's, I don't know, seven or eight, I think, right now. When she gets older, don't ever go camping with her, because if she has tent spikes, if you know the story, you know. Sisera, he was, a, he was one of the Assyrians, I think. I believe he was Assyrian. You know, he was one of the enemies of Israel, and, and he was fleeing in a battle, and, and he flees into this tent because he kind of had a friendship with Jael's husband. And so Jael's husband's not there, but he flees into the tent, and uh, he's like, hide me, you know, protect me from the, from the uh, armies and stuff. And she gives him a glass of milk. I think it was warm milk, too. And he's like, oh, so good. And he's been running. He's exhausted. He drinks warm milk. I and mean, I tell you, if, you're, if you have a hard time sleeping at night, drink warm milk, man. It'll knock you out. And that's what it did. He fell asleep, and she took a, a tent spike and drove it through his head. Here he thought he was, yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, finally I can rest. I, I've gotten to take my breath. And yet he was killed that night. And what the picture here is, don't go camping with my grander. No, <laughs> sorry. No. no, the picture is the day of the Lord there's going to be no rest. There's going to be no hope. There's no joy, no light, and worst of all, no relationship with God. Then it's going to be too late. There are people that say, you know, they believe, well, you know, hell's just temporary. You know, eventually everybody goes to heaven. You know, I forgot the name of the, 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 the terminology of it, but that's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says we all have one life to live and then comes judgment. And so God's saying, hey, seek me and live. Don't ignore me because literally there's hell to pay if you do. And now he's talking again about their hypocrisy. Verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days. It's like, Lord, can you really tell us how you feel? This is how he really feels. I hate I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. So here are these people, you know, they're having a worship session. You know, they're, they're, they've got the guitars playing and the drums and everybody, they're worshiping the Lord. And God says, man, that's noise. I don't, yeah, man. I don't want to even hear it. 
Because your heart's not right. Because sometimes, you know, when our hearts are not right and we, we go through the motions of seeking the Lord and we think that we're pleasing God and God says, I want your heart. I don't want all that external stuff. I want your heart. I want you. The Lord hates our hypocrisy. Sacrifices offered hypocritically are not accepted. In verse 24, so here's the alternative. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. I was thinking about that last, last night, actually. I was thinking about this verse and thinking, I wonder what, what he means, running down like water. You know, when you think about water, when water flows downhill, it fills the lowest places first. It always finds the place of least resistance. It goes into the lowest places, fills up those lower places, and eventually the higher places get covered. And I think this might be what the Lord is speaking about. Let your justice flow down to even the poorest, most insignificant person in situation. Be just to the most the person that you think doesn't deserve the just. The low man, how can I be just to that person? There's a low, there's a yeah. God says, no, let it pour. Let it cover them. And then let it cover everybody else, too. Let it cover everybody. But let's start with those who don't even deserve your love. You know what that is? That's grace. That's just sharing grace with people, extending the grace that's been extended to us. Let your justice flow down to even the poorest, most insignificant person. And then think of the running water. Man, water refreshes Especially if you're out there, you're hiking around, and you hear you're, you're parched, and there's a stream. Uh, I wouldn't encourage you to drink that. People get jarred again nowadays, but, you know, back in that day, I don't think maybe they did. But anyways, running water, it's, it's refreshing. It cools. It satisfies. God says, man, be that to people around you that don't even deserve it. And your righteousness like a mighty stream. Again, there's another, there's another picture that we can see here. You know, and be honest with you, we've seen some pretty vivid pictures of mighty streams just recently on the news. You know, we've had these flash floods. That's, that's what I would call that a mighty stream. That's pretty mighty. You know, the water, it just, you got this, you know, this mud water, and it just, it just plows over anything in its path. Remember when that tsunami hit in Japan? See that wave, that 100-foot wave or whatever it was just coming, and it just, everything, buildings look like toys. You know, it looks like one of those movies that was done, you know, really cheap, you know, special effects. But that was real. You saw this stuff just crumbling and floating away with this water. And I think this is, what, again, a picture that God is trying to show. Let your righteousness be like a mighty stream. Mighty streams engulf everything in its path, and it even carries off everything in its path. Nothing just stands, it just gets carried along with it. And what God, I believe, is saying is let your righteousness engulf every aspect of your life. And not only that, but every aspect of people that come across. Everyone that comes across in your path, let your righteousness just plow them over and carry them off with you. What does that mean? That means living your life to a point where people say, man, I love what, I, I, I don't know what this guy's about, but man, or this woman's about, but there's something different about them, and I want to find out what's different about them. They're, they're just, they're not like everybody else. They, they love people. They treat people kindly with respect. They, they, there's always joy in their hearts. Man, let your love just plow them over and sweep them along with you. I, that's a beautiful picture, I think. You know, Galatians 5, 23 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. 
It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You know what, when Paul says, man, there's no law against those things, what he's basically saying, there are no regulations for the fruit of the Spirit. There's no laws limiting it. Like, well, you can only, you know... You, you can only do one thing one day and you know you, there's no limitation to the fruits of the spirit you're never going to get in trouble for being too loving to somebody you're never going to get in trouble or never break or violate some law for being too joyful or too peaceful in your life you'll never be accused of being too long suffering except if you go to a like a legalistic church or you have you know people friends that are legalistic then you might be accused of being too long suffering but According to God, you'll never be accused of being too patient with people. That's funny. There was one time there was a, a gentleman in our church, and, and uh, you know, he was a work in progress, put it that way, and, and uh, uh, just spent a lot of time with him off and on. Things would go good, and then things would go bad. And, you know, when things would go bad, he'd call me, and I'd, and I'd always be there for him. And there were times, I have to admit, it was like, man, I just wanted to say, man, would you just get a life, <laughs> you know, and just figure it out, man. I'm tired of telling you the same thing over and over again, you know, get into the Word, get into prayer, stay in fellowship, you know, keep telling you the same thing. And as soon as you get out of it, things start falling apart in your life, you know. And there was another gentleman that was around me at that time, and he said, man, I don't know how you do it. He goes, if it was me, if I was you, I would have I just booted that guy a long time ago. And I didn't. And uh, I look at his life now, and, man, he's walking tight with the Lord. And, you know, and, and he's, he's even acknowledged, man, thank you for hanging in there with me, you know. You're never going to be accused of being too patient with people. You'll never be accused of being too kind, too good, too faithful, too gentle. No one's ever going to say, hey, you're exercising too much self-control, man. Let loose a little. No one's ever going to say that to you unless they're trying to lead you astray, of course. So basically, when it comes to righteousness, man, let it flow, baby. Verse 25. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? Now he's talking about when they were coming through. They left Egypt and they were going through the wilderness, right? God was leading them. God was making a nation out of them. He says, did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel. You also carried Sukkoth, your king, and Chiang, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Stephen, the first martyr of the church in Acts 7, mentions this as he's giving his defense before the Sanhedrin. Evidently, when the children of Israel left Egypt, some of them carried along these little pocket shrines. They were like, you know, when I was a kid, my friend, he always had this like this rabbit foot, you know. It was like, it was like a keychain rabbit foot. And it was for good luck, you know. And so it's kind of a picture of that. It's this little little charm that you would carry around with you for good luck. And, and apparently, when the children of Israel left Egypt... They didn't leave all the gods of Egypt behind. Some of them took these little good luck charms with them, kept them in their pocket, just as, you know, you never know, might need it for good luck or whatever. And God was not pleased with them because although they were worshiping God, they were also compromising themselves. And that's an issue I think we all struggle with. 
It's that, you know, we, we want to worship the Lord. Our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak, and, and sometimes we compromise. And so that's the last warning here God's giving His people here. Don't compromise. God was not pleased with it then in the wilderness, and He's telling them here in Israel that He's not pleased with it now. And I'm telling you here today, God's not pleased with it in our lives as well when we compromise. He says, let righteousness flow like a mighty stream. I mentioned that before, but there's one other aspect to that mighty stream. Mighty streams are not like stop and go, stop and go. They are just flowing, constant. There's this, there's this roar. Have you ever camped by a river that's really flowing, man? It's the best place to sleep because you hear it's just this steady stream of water flowing by. And, and that's the way your and my life should be. A steady stream of righteousness, not a I'm following the Lord today, but now I'm, you know, now I'm doing this, you know, be faithful to the Lord because he's been faithful to us. Why don't you stand up today, uh, this now and this morning, and let's go, Lord, in prayer. We're at the end of chapter five. Again, I, you know, sometimes these can be really hard chapters to teach because it's like there's so much oh, heaviness and stuff, but I hope Besides the meth pictures, it's funny when you show stuff like that, those things are the things that stick in your mind, the illustrations and the pictures and stuff. If there's anything that you picked out of this message this morning, I pray that you understand God's heart, and that is seek Him and live, because that's God's heart for each one of us. Let's go, Lord, in prayer.